Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So you want to go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Last week we started this chapter, and I don't normally do a sermon series, but uh, I just kind of thought, well, it kind of fits. So the kind of the, this next couple weeks is basically the person, the work, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. Last week, if you were here last week, we looked at verses 1 through 4. Uh, you know, I, I normally I go kind of fast through these chapters, not fast, but I, you know, I do typically about a chapter a week, but I thought, you know, it's so good to maybe slow down and just kind of dig into this passage of scripture. I think there's so much, uh, though I know there's different beliefs regarding the gifts of the Holy Spirit within Christianity, and I think there's also a lot of misunderstanding about the gifts uh, in Christianity. And so I thought it's just really good time for us as a fellowship just to kind of slow down and, and kind of really dig in. So that's what we're doing. Uh, so last week I, I looked at verses one through, uh, I believe it was one through four. And uh, if you uh, are interested in kind of catching up, if you weren't here last week or you, you know, whatever, um, you can go to our website and you can listen to the teaching and you can kind of pick up from where we were. But I'm going to start uh, with. Uh, reading from verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And I'll draw your attention there to verse seven, the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. What does manifestation mean? It really means basically to make visible or observable. It comes from the Greek word that means to render apparent or to show. And I just want to rhetorically ask you this question. Have you ever heard someone say this after a worship service? Or maybe you've even said this during a worship service. Man, the Holy Spirit really showed up tonight. I don't know if you ever heard that again. I want to read something to you out of John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples. It's before uh, his crucifixion, and he's trying to comfort them. He's explaining that it's, a, it's good for them that he leaves because of the Holy Spirit will be coming. And so verse 16, he says, And I will pray the Father, and he will uh, give you another helper, that he may be, abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. There's the, I just want to underscore this fact. The Holy Spirit does not come and go. Now, in the Old Testament, yes, he did. 
You recall Samson. He'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. as amazing uh, power and might and stuff. But that was, you know, when the Holy Spirit would come upon him. So in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, yes, the Holy Spirit would come and go. Under the New Testament, however, that's not the case. And so when for, to say, boy, the Holy Spirit really showed up tonight, that's kind of not an accurate thing to say. The Holy Spirit is not more uh, present when the gifts of the Holy Spirit are made manifest. He's not more present. He's, he's here, plain and simple. So the diversity of activities, verse 6, uh, that's pretty much where we, we left off last week. Uh, but that word activities is the word energema. And I, I don't know if I pronounce Greek very well. I never took Greek classes or anything. But it means effects. And it's the effects of the uh, working of the Holy Spirit. Just that it's open and it's visible uh, for people to see and to experience. And I'll give you a little illustration here. Um, okay. So I don't know if you saw Chuck. He's really good with this. I'm terrible with this. So if I hit a button now, I'd be like, we're stuck. But um, basically, so I've got this remote for our, our projector here. It's present. But uh, I put it under here. You guys can't see it, right? It's still here. But yet, uh, it's only when you see it that you go, oh, yeah, it's there. Um, you see, the Holy Spirit is still here. He's here among us. He dwells in the, in the believer, never to leave. Um, but sometimes you don't see the effects of the Holy Spirit. And so this is what uh, Paul is talking about, the effects of the Holy Spirit being manifest. Um, so the Holy Spirit doesn't show up. He's already here. So that's kind of an important thing, I think, to understand. So the next question would be, well, why are they made manifest then? And we see the answer right there in verse 7. It's for the profit of all. The word means to bear together, to contribute to collect or contribute in order to help, to give an advantage. Um, it's to add to instead of taking away from building up the church. That's the whole purpose behind the manifestation of the spirits. It's beneficial for the body of Christ. Now in verse 8 through 11, Paul lists the diversity of activities that he describes in verse 6. And before we look at each one, uh, there's three things I want to address uh, before we uh, take a look at this list. First of all, you'll recall from last week in uh, verse 4, Paul said there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And one of the things that I shared last week, and I, and I do believe this, is that what Paul is referring to are the gifts of the Spirit that's described in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. All believers, all Christians, all born-again believers in Jesus Christ have at least one and probably in most cases uh, multiple of, of these gifts. And then from verse 5 there, there are differences of ministries but the same Lord. And I do believe that Paul is referring to the ministries that are described in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. And the ministries vary. And then we get to verse 6, and there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. Verses 8 through 10 is what I believe Paul is uh, explaining. He's, he's giving examples of the diversities of activities. And with uh, the diversities of the activities, the manifestation of these activities is diverse as well. The working of the Holy Spirit 
in my life may look different than it looks in your life. And I think that's kind of an important thing because I think sometimes in, you know, it's, it's sometimes there's a temptation to try to mimic what you see manifest in another person. Uh, I've seen that before. We're not to mimic someone. You're unique. And uh, the problem with when people mimic, you know, they, they see the, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, well, that must be the way the Holy Spirit does it, so that's the way he does it all the time. The problem is it creates an unauthentic culture. And, uh, and we don't want to be unauthentic. Uh, I'll mess that up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Hopefully you do. So that's the first thing, the manifestation of the Spirit. It may not look the same in me as it looks in you. The second thing, and I love this phrase. I heard it once, and it just stuck with me, and it's the phrase supernaturally natural. God's not the author of confusion. And if you look in the book of Acts, because that's what we have to look at. You know, we, okay, so what is it, the manifestation of the Spirit? We read about it, but what does it look like? Well, we go to the book of Acts, and there we see the evidence of it. And uh, uh, if you look there, uh, you, you won't see confusion. You won't see a lot of hoopla. Uh, the gifts, it's powerful, and yet it's uh, supernaturally natural. I love, I love that phrase, and it's always stuck with me. The last thing I want to share is anything that's truly of the Holy Spirit is going to glorify Jesus by exhibiting the character and the nature of Jesus Christ, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. His, his whole purpose is to glorify Jesus. So everything is going to reflect the character and the nature of Jesus. Well, what was the character and nature of Jesus? Well, first of all, he was a servant, right? He ministered to others. He didn't come to be served, but to serve others. So the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit, you're going to see that servant heart in it. Also, Jesus was humble. Again, like I mentioned earlier, the Holy Spirit never draws attention to himself, but to Jesus Christ. And so you would expect that the manifestation of the gifts, there's going to be humility there as well. You'll see that. Jesus fulfilled scripture. He didn't contradict scripture. Remember, Jesus said, hey, I didn't come to, to contradict. I came to fulfill the scripture. And so I believe the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit, it's going to be scriptural. Um, and one of the kind of, it's a litmus test that I use for just about any kind of doctrine or practice in Christianity. I usually ask these three questions. First question is, did Jesus teach or do you see it exampled in his ministry? And you can go through the Gospels and you can read about it or look at, you know, uh, it's a Jesus teacher example. The next thing I look for is, do we see it in the church as recorded in the book of Acts? So did Jesus talk about it or did you see it in his life? And then do you see it in practice in the book of Acts? And then finally, do the apostles expound on it? So you, know, you could take just about any kind of doctrine or any kind of practice and you could run through those three questions. And if you can say yes to all three questions, then you go, well, that's pro you're probably on safe ground. If you're like, well, you know, yeah, I read about this or, you know, and people can pull all kinds of things out of scripture, but, but then you don't see it in the book of Acts or the apostles aren't expounding on it. I'm not saying it is, but it might be shaky ground. So I would caution you in those cases. Let me give you a few examples. Healing. Healing. Do we see that? Did Jesus teach or example? Well, absolutely, right? Jesus was healing all the time. Uh, do we see it recorded in the book of Acts? Absolutely. There's healing that took place 
uh, in the ministries of the apostles. Do the apostles expound on it? Absolutely. Same with prophecy. You can say the same question. Tongues, the gift of tongue, yes. Uh, and then all these things that we're going to look at this morning, you can find evidence of it in Scripture. So it's going to uh, be a fulfillment of Scripture. It's not going to contradict Scripture. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make in all this. Now, I don't know what all your backgrounds are, and I certainly don't want to offend anybody, but I do want to bring up a few things um, things that I don't see in Scripture. Now, you come up to me later on, you could say, well, we could have a Bible study together, that's fine. But things that I don't see in Scripture, I don't see where people have uncontrollable physical motions where they're jerking and running around as like they're on fire. I, I don't see that in Scriptures. Now, understand me something here. Uh, if you were overcome by the, by the Holy Spirit and you're overcome by emotions and maybe there's an involuntary muscle spasm or something, you know, just, it's just, you're just so overwhelmed. I'm not going to say, okay, ah, you're out of here. That's not scriptural. We're not going to kick you out of the church. But the thing is to codify that and to say, well, that must be the way the Holy Spirit operates. And so now we got people mimicking it. Well, that's not, that's not good. Uh, here's another thing, gold dust. I don't, I don't know if that's you guys are into that or not, but uh, or gems miraculously appearing. Uh, you know, by the way, so we were, my wife's a rock hound. I don't know, Tim, our Sunday school teacher this morning, he's a rock hound as well. And uh, uh, I was praying that gems would miraculously appear on the seashore. We were looking there at Lake Superior. My wife actually prayed, and believe it or not, we were, we were, it was like a, it was a dud. We weren't finding, you know, much. We found a little small pieces of agate. And she was praying, and lo and behold, she finds this great big slab of agate. And I'm like, man, why don't you pray for a vacation home or something, you know? <laughs> hey, can God make a diamond or make a gem miraculously appear? Absolutely. God can do anything, okay? There, we don't want to say, well, God can't do that. But do we see evidence of that in scriptures as a practice? No, we don't. We don't. Uh, being slain in the spirit, I, I don't see that in scriptures as well. Again, if you want to have a Bible study with me later on, uh, we'll, we'll schedule a time and, and, and talk about that. Also, with keeping of the character and nature of Jesus, the manifestation of the Spirit, it is going to be powerful. There is going to be a supernatural element to it. However, remember, it's supernaturally natural. And so we get to verse 8 now. We have the start of Paul's list here. Verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. What is the word of wisdom? It's a supernatural ability to speak forth the wisdom of God. It's basically being a conduit for God's wisdom in a particular situation. So let's throw the uh, litmus test here. I'm not going to do it on every single one of you. Let's throw a litmus test here for uh, the word of wisdom. Do we see it evidenced or did Jesus speak about it? Absolutely. When we saw or when we read about the uh, Pharisees, they wanted to trick Jesus or trap Jesus, I should say. And so they said, you know, teacher, and they always kind of, you know, manipulated him a little bit, try to butter him up. But teacher, is it lawful to pay tax to Rome? And they thought, man, they got him because no matter how he answers, he's going to get in trouble. And Jesus basically asked someone to show him a coin. And he said, whose inscription is on it? And they said, well, Caesar's. And he said, render therefore to Caesar the thing that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. 
And it's like, they were just like befuddled. Well, that was because it was a word of wisdom. We see that it evidenced in the life of Jesus. We see it in the Apostle James at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, verses 19 through, or, yeah, 19 through 22. The, the church, you know, uh, Gentiles are starting to get saved. There's ministry going out to Gentiles, and, it's, and so the Jewish believers are like, well, wait a minute, they're not circumcised, you know, they're not following Juda Judaism, and, you know, so what do we do? And so there's a lot of a lot of discussion, a lot of uh, contention. And, and so they met in Jerusalem, and uh, Peter is sharing, you know, his vision that he had that God called him to the Gentiles. And uh, Paul is talking about the ministries that's taking place among the Gentiles. And so there's a lot of confusion. And then James stands up, and he says this, Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. It says, Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who is also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. There's an example in the book of Acts of a word of wisdom. Even with Paul, we see it later on in the end of book of Acts chapter 23. Paul's arrested by the Romans. He's accused by both Pharisees and Sadducees. They've ganged up, you know, they're opposite political and religious entities, but yet they're, they're ganging up, just like with Jesus, they're ganging up to, to uh, accuse Paul before uh, the Roman guards. And it says in Acts uh, chapter 23, verse 6, but when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and the resurrection of the dead, I'm being judged. And all the Pharisees go, hey, wait, that's what we believe. And so they're like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that guy. And, of course, the Sadducees, they don't believe in the resurrection or in, in supernatural and in angels. And so then that, now there's contention. But that's a word of wisdom, I believe, exhibited in the, in the, uh, in the life of Paul. Remember, going back to those things I shared before, the manifestation of the Spirit, it's going to be along the lines of the character and nature of Jesus. You're going to see that. So regarding a word of wisdom, it's not like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, here it comes. Okay, folks, I have a word of wisdom for you. You know, it, it doesn't work that way. It's supernaturally natural. There's no lead up. There's no hyped buildup. Well, how do I know then that what I'm saying is a manifestation of the word of, the, of, word of wisdom? Well, you probably won't be honest with you. You probably won't. Um, I want to encourage you, though, just to, if the Holy Spirit's laying something on your heart, um, not right now, by the way, but, it, you know, at, at those appropriate times, hey, go ahead and share those things. Uh, don't be hesitant. Uh, but you go, well, what if it's not a word of, word of wisdom? Listen, let it be proven by the Lord if it is. Just walk in faith uh, if it was a word of wisdom, you're definitely going to see the fruit later, just like in these cases here. Um, verse 8, also. Uh, to another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit. Something. Uh, so what is word of knowledge? Something that can be known, only known supernaturally. 
uh, we see it in the life of Jesus again. Remember when he was at the well and met that Samaritan woman in John 4, verse 18, Jesus is talking to him. They're in this conversation. Then Jesus says, hey, go get your husband. And she says, well, I don't, I don't have no husband. And Jesus said, uh, you've spoken, uh, for you have had, uh, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have only, you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. There's, there's a, a word of knowledge there, super, supernaturally revealed. We see it in the book of Acts with Peter. The church is starting out, and uh, uh, people are getting saved left and right, and, and they're starting to uh, sell things, and they're donating it to the poor among the Christians in the, in the early church there. And there was a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira, and they had some property, and uh, they sold it, and uh, they wanted to look like they were laying it down at the apostles' feet, but they actually were keeping some of it back. And it was a secret between the two of them. But the Lord gave Peter... A word of knowledge and so Peter says this Ananias why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself while it remained was it not your own and after it was sold was it not in your own control why have you conceived this thing in your heart you have not lied to men but to God how did Peter know that it was a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit supernaturally revealed now I want to share this here Having the manifestation of the gift of knowledge doesn't mean that you're constantly walking around with the gift of knowledge. I hope, you know, if that was a case, man, we would not want that person in our church, right? Because they'd know, I know what you did last night. <laughs> I know how you talked to your wife. You know, we, don't, we wouldn't want that, right? Um, and just like the word of wisdom, you don't always know that the Spirit is manifesting that gift in you. I had a friend once... Well, I, one time I had a friend. <laughs> That's not what I meant. I had a friend once. <laughs> and, uh, and he was, I know he was clueless about this, but he was just sharing something with me. And it was like, I, I, after a while, it, it was just a blur. I basically, it was the Holy Spirit speaking right to my heart. And it was like, man, he, he had no clue what he was sharing, but the Spirit was just nailing me for something. I'm like, wow. I had an experience once where I believe the Lord gave me a word of knowledge, and uh, I didn't know that that's what it was. But we had uh, a number of years ago, we had a uh, one of our Wednesday night potlucks, and we were in the in the other other church building. It was a smaller group, and I remember this this couple came, and uh, they were just sitting next to each other and 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 eating, and and I saw, I think it was a green bean or a piece of meat or something fell off the guy's plate and I saw the girl just pick it up and put it on her plate and it was something and all of a sudden it was like I think they're being intimate together it's like did the Holy Spirit I mean did I, how did I know that I didn't and uh, I came to find out later on that that's exactly what happened now what happened was they had actually gotten married secretly and uh, nobody knew it until later on it came out but it was just like the Lord and again it's like okay there's a word or not no it just it was just like wow and it turned out right. That was the Holy Spirit was revealing something to me. And there's a, I know there's a couple pastors here uh, this morning. It makes it hard for me. I get intimidated. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know, I think if you were to ask any one of us, 
we'd see that, you know, a lot of times when we're preaching and we, we don't follow around people, you know, we don't sit there and go, okay, I wonder if I can, I'm going to write this because I'm going to say this because I know that that's going to nail. No, we don't know what's going on in your lives. We're too busy with our own lives, you know, our own ministries and stuff. And I'm just not that smart. But there's many times when people have come up to me after service and said, man, you spoke exactly what was going on in my life. And, and it's like, praise the Lord. And it's, it's not me. I guarantee it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. Again, word of knowledge, it's supernaturally natural. Can you imagine having a conversation with someone, someone like, well, wait, 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 what was that, Lord? Oh, okay, so you sinned this week, you know, it's, it doesn't work that way, okay? And don't force it or mimic it. If you're in a room of 500 people, you know, and someone says, hey, the Lord's told me someone in here is depressed, the Lord wants to heal you, uh, what are the odds? <laughs> you know, that they're in a room of 500, there's going to be one person depressed. Now, having said that, okay, we chuckle a little bit, it, I think it's kind of funny, but having said that, the Lord may give you a word of knowledge in that situation in a room of 500. The Lord may say, hey, there's someone here that's depressed and I uh, want you to pray for it. What I'm trying to get across is don't try to mimic, you know, don't try to make it happen. I guess that's maybe what I'm trying to say here. A word of caution also I have for, for those of us here. If someone tells you about your past, and they're trying to spiritually manipulate you, don't cast aside your discernment, okay? And you go, oh, it's a word of knowledge, then, you know, there must be, it must be from the Lord. Be careful, because the devil also knows your past. And, uh, you know, you think about the psychics, you know, how do, they, how do they know these things? Well, it's the source that they, the, you know, it's a demonic source. So, yeah, the devil knows things, too. So we don't throw our discernment away when we see uh, something like a word of knowledge or anything like that. Continuing on here, verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. What is he speaking about here? The gift of faith. Listen, Ephesians 2, verse 8, Paul said this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So in reality, all faith is a gift of God. But I don't think that Paul here is referring to saving faith. I think what this faith, this gift of faith, is a supernatural ability to trust the Lord in a particular place at a particular time for a particular outcome. When Jesus was with his disciples and he walked by and he saw a fig tree, he was going to go eat some figs, but there was no figs on the tree. He cursed the fig tree in Mark 11, verse 14. He said, let, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And the next morning, the disciples are walking with Jesus. They pass by, and that fig tree was dead. I mean, it, it literally died from the roots. And uh, Peter, he's like, Lord, look at that. Uh, the fig tree which you curse has withered away. And Jesus answered to them, have faith in God. And I think that was, a, that was an example, I think, of that. Look at Peter. When, he was in the, when Jesus was walking on the, on the water towards them in the Sea of Galilee, Mark 14, verse 28, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come on the water. That was, a, that was a gift of faith to really trust the Lord in a particular situation at a particular time. And so you know the story. Peter walked out on the water. Peter and John in the book of Acts Acts chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, they're coming to the temple to pray, and there's a man there that's, that's lame, and, and, um, and uh, you know, he's crying out for alms. 
And it says there in verse 4 of Acts chapter 3, And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Again, that's the gift of faith in experience. We see it lived out there. Now, doesn't mean, just like with all the other manifestations of the Spirit, it doesn't mean once you have it, you've got it. You know, it's like, I'm the man with the faith, you know, and I walk around and I'm, I'm the, uh, the, the spiritual man. It's like, step aside, the man of faith is here, you know. Uh, again, remember, it's in the character and nature of Jesus. There's humility. There's servanthood in there. And yet, it is supernatural and there is power in it. You think about different people that had the gift of faith, that I believe had the gift of faith. Peter, for example, got out of the water and, and walked on the water there, got out of the boat, I should say. Um, what happened? He did walk on the water until he took his eyes off the Lord and went down like a rock. You know, Jesus, uh, Jesus grabbed him and pulled him back up. Um, you look at, in the Old Testament, uh, all these men of great faith, Abraham, he had lapses of faith. There were times where he took things into his own, own hands and, and uh, was fearful. Um, Elijah, man, great gift of faith there on the, whole, on the Mount uh, Carmel, and yet later on he's walking in fear. And so it's not something that, you know, once you have it, that's it. That's my gift. I walk around. I'm the man of faith. Um, I think it would be hard to be humble if that was your attitude. Uh, also, verse 9, to another gifts of healings by the same spirit. Now this is God's healing power. It's either given or received. What do I mean by that? I think it's given in the sense where uh, the spirit is ministering healing through your praying. You're laying hands on someone uh, and, and, and they receive that healing. That's the giving. The receiving is in the sense that you yourself receive the gift of healing in your own person. Um, I've had that experience in my own life. I shared that we were at the uh, uh, Gift of Life Transplant House. We do a, for those of you that don't know, there's a, there's a home here for people that get organ transplants or different kind of transplants. And uh, uh, it's a place where, uh, you know, family can come and stay and it's, it's uh, very affordable. And uh, so anyways, uh, I do a, we do a service there, an outreach service there. Uh, periodically, and the last time I was there, I was sharing with them about healing, and and uh, shared about the time when I had vertigo, for, and it went on and on and on, and it was it was a serious situation. And the last time, praise the Lord, it was the last time. The last time I received it, I started feeling this vertigo coming on, and I was like, oh, not again. I mean, I was literally in tears and crying out, saying, Lord, please heal me, and. Boom, it went away. And that was 37 years ago, 36 years ago. I've never had it since, ever. I know, in me, I know that that was a healing that I received, the gift of healing from the Lord. Now, I'll be honest with you, you know, as a pastor, especially around Mayo Clinic, you get calls to go and pray with people and lay hands on people. Some of the people I've laid hands on and prayed for healing, they've died. So <laughs> you might want to consider that before you ask me to lay hands on you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> But we see it example in the life of Jesus. Hey, he healed the sick, right? He gave sight to the blind. He made the lame walk. He even raised the dead. We see amazing examples of the gifts of healing through the apostles in the book of Acts. And by the way, they did it without asking for seed faith donations. 
They just, that was just amazing. So, is someone a faith healer with the gift of healing all the time? I would say no. And this is why. If you look at the life of Paul, I mean, he had an amazing, the, the, the gift of healing was evident. We see it in Acts chapter 14. We see it in Acts chapter 19. see it in Acts chapter 28. I mean, uh, even, you know, people would just walk by him, handkerchiefs, shadows. People were being healed. Amazing, powerful, supernatural healing. And yet, there was times when Paul was not able to heal. There was a guy by the name of Trophimus. He was one of the disciples, one of the people that was ministered alongside Paul. In 2 Timothy verses 4 through 20, Paul says, Trophimus, I have left in Miletus sick. He didn't heal Trophimus. Paul also wrote to Timothy to take a little wine for his frequent ailments. Paul didn't heal Timothy. Paul had his own thorn in the flesh, and he prayed three times. The Lord would take it away, and the Lord didn't. So I don't believe that someone is a faith healer and they just walk around with the gift of healing all the time. My, this is what I believe anyways. I don't think scripture supports that concept. However, however, there's always the howevers, right? Um, the gift of faith and I think the gift of healing, I think quite frequently they operate in tandem. So someone could have a real, quite a track record of they pray for people and people are, are getting healed. Uh, why? Uh, because they have the supernatural faith to trust the Lord for the healing. It's just something that's the Lord just working through them. So, you know, I, I, don't, I never like to put God in a box that God can't do this, okay? God can do anything he wants. But one of the things that I always go to is I got to use this as my standard of measure for anything. Because if you don't have any kind of standard, then anything goes. And unfortunately, you see that. People don't have a standard of, 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 okay, how does the Lord, how does the Holy Spirit, you know, work and stuff. And so, you know, anybody can say, well, this is from the Holy Spirit. And then people go, wow, it's, it's supernatural. It must be the Lord and stuff. We have, a, we have a standard to go by. And I think that's why we have the book of Acts, to see it exampled for us. Um, one of the things that, you know, it's kind of interesting, and I, uh, I, I've got a gift of sarcasm, but uh, <laughs> although that's not one of the gifts I read in the scriptures, but I've been told I have that gift. Um, you know, I don't see the apostles, and they did amazing amounts of healing, cr incredible things, but you don't see them going around all of a sudden having a, a faith healing crusade tour. Um, it, it accompanied the teaching of the word, obviously, but uh, I don't remember them reading about them having a healing crusade, and I think that's very telling. I'll be honest with you, frequently I'm very uh, leery of people that have titles. I've had people come up to me and say, I've got, I'm a prophet. You know, I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, or I've had people you know, talk about the fact that they're faith healers or miracle workers and different things. Um, so I always get leery about titles. Uh, you know, one thing, again, gift of sarcasm, you don't see too many people starting a traveling servant ministry, right? Because the gifts of the Spirit, they're supposed to have follow the character and nature of Jesus. Could you imagine that, going around the town, going around the country, just serving people, humbly serving? Uh, you'll probably never see a flyer like this one here. Foot washing crusade, two nights only. 
servant Don and his wife Teresa. Um, come out, let us serve you. Bring us your dirty feet, your unpaid bills. We'll pay your bills for you. You, don't, you I don't think you're ever going to see that. Uh, come out and witness servanthood. Um, again, I, uh, you know, anyways, I'll let that go. <laughs> All right. Verse 10. To another, the working of miracles. What is that? It's when God miraculously over, uh, overrides the laws of nature. God created the universe, right? He created everything in it. And yet he allows our world to be governed by certain physical laws, right? The law of gravity, uh, the law of physics, the law of time, the law of space, uh, entropy, all these different laws. God chooses to, to allow the world to uh, be governed by these laws. But there's times when he chooses to work outside of those established laws, and that's the working of miracles. We see it with Jesus, right? Feeding the 5,000. How can you feed 5,000? That's just men, not counting women and children. How can you just feed 5,000 from five loaves of bread and two fish? It's an amazing miracle where God overrode the laws of nature miraculously. Paul in uh, Acts 19 verses 11, 12 says, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. It's an amazing thing. The Bible tells us, we're having a, a prophecy conference coming up pretty soon. The Bible tells us in the end days, the Antichrist and the beast are going to be allowed to work signs and wonders in order to deceive mankind. They're going to be given that uh, they're going to be allowed to do those things, and we're going to see things. Hopefully, we won't. We'll be in heaven. Uh, the church, Jesus returns for the church prior to the tribulation. But there's going to be a deception coming upon the world. Things will be. It'll be supernatural, definitely. But the source will be demonic. But we have demonic deception even today. And so, one of the important things, if I can't drill this enough. If it's a true manifestation of the Holy Spirit's power, it's going to be in accordance with the character and nature of Jesus, whatever it is. I want to give another word of caution here as well. Don't base your faith on the miraculous. Sometimes Christians do that. You know, they're always looking for the miracles and everything. Listen, Romans 10, verse 17, Paul says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If you look in the book of Acts where, the, where the, uh, all these miracles, these gifts of the Spirit are being evidenced, uh, uh, the gifts uh, of working of miracles, for example, they're almost always associated with evangelism, and it's a testimony to unbelievers. You see that throughout the book of Acts. So my encouragement, my word of caution is don't base your faith. Don't be saying, well, i got to see a miracle today. Um, the Lord may do that. I mean, my wife prays for things, and it's amazing how the Lord answers prayers for her. I, I've just seen it left and right. Amazing thing. Uh, I encourage you to pray, okay? God works through prayer. Even in, you know, sometimes you think some of the s simplest things, you know, it's like, well, who, would God really care about her finding a rock? Well, the Lord wanted to bless her. And, uh, and he did. So God, God does amazing things. Base your faith on the word of God, not on the miraculous. Also, verse 10, to another prophecy. 
prophecy, what is that? It's speaking forth the heart and mind of God. It may have a predictive foretelling aspect to it, but it may also be foretelling, uh, just speaking God's heart to people. Um, many of these gifts, by the way, these, the wisdom, knowledge, prophecy, a lot of times they take place during the preaching of God's word. But some argue that prophecy and tongues ceased with the apostles, you know, the, the passing of the apostles. And one of the things I've heard people say is, well, good preaching is prophecy. And I definitely the gift of prophecy comes forth during preaching, but I don't think that's what Paul is saying here because Paul used the word preaching, was, which is kerugma. Again, I'm not really good at the Greek, but he doesn't use, there's another Greek word. He, excuse me, he uses the word for prophecy. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Uh, he could have used a Greek word for preaching, and he didn't. We're going to spend a lot more time in prophecy, so uh, come back in uh, next week and the next couple weeks and we're going to be looking at that uh, especially in chapter 14 so I'm not going to dwell a long time on prophecy remember though it's supernaturally natural um, I don't know how many of you guys know who David Guzik is uh, Calvary Chapel pastor and, and he came out uh, a few years ago came out to uh, our friend's church in Marshall, Minnesota and, and our friend invited a few of us pastors and there was I think only three of us showed up, three couples and uh, so we just had this intimate time just hanging out with David Guzik and talking with him and stuff and, and at the end we just had kind of a devotional time together and I just seen him just share a word of prophecy and it was so, it's just like it just rolled off his tongue. It wasn't like, you know, his voice didn't change, you know, thus, you know, didn't get a King James, for, you know, English or anything. It just was a natural thing. And I thought, man, that, that's beautiful. And that's, I think, is um, how the gift of prophecy is made manifest. And again, remember, we're all different. We're all unique. So it's going to be, uh, and we have a different mix of gifts, too. So uh, there's going to be variation, okay? Um, but again, don't try to mimic others. Chances are very high, I think, that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak in King James English, you know, thus saith the Lordeth, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, you don't need to tremble. You don't need to change your voice like, okay, it's the Lord's and I got to speak, you know, different or anything like that. I saw an article. I, I know what it was, the Babylon Bee. I don't know if you guys ever read those articles, but they said that they've, researchers have discovered that uh, the disciples all spoke in English. I mean, like British English. They had a British accent, but. <laughs> okay. Having said that, not, not what I just shared you, but having said that about uh, chances are that the whole, you know, we don't, you don't need to change your voice and everything. I want to encourage you, if the Lord's laying on you, or if you feel that the Lord's giving you the gift of prophecy and you want to share something, we have a, a time for that, that we allow that, uh, we, we encourage that. Um, it's okay if you're nervous. You know, sometimes just taking that step of faith, it, it can be nerve-wracking, and sometimes your voice is going to crack. You're going to, uh, you know, you're going to sound different because you're nervous. Um, I don't want to discourage you in that. I want you to, I want you to take, uh, you know, step out in faith. And uh, but again, you know, you don't feel like you have to make something happen. That, that's the big thing here. And because prophecy speaks the heart and mind of God, Satan loves to deceive. And so uh, the words of prophecy we find out, we'll get, again, we're going to get to that when we get to chapter 14, are always subject to the test of scriptures. Just because someone says it's from the Lord 
We need to go to scriptures. It's got to be in line with scripture. It does not violate scripture. And that's where the next manifestation of the spirit is so important there. Also in verse 10, to another discerning of spirits. That's the ability, supernatural ability to tell what is of the Holy Spirit and what is not. And you know, as we uh, approach the rapid closing of the church age, and I think we're on the cusp of the end of the church age. We know from scriptures that spiritual deception is only going to increase. And so the discerning of spirits is needed. It's a needed gift within the body of Christ. Next, in verse 10, to another different kinds of tongues. That's a supernatural language of prayer and worship given by God. Interesting thing about the gifts of gift of tongues, of all the manifestations of the Spirit, you know, one of the things I said in the beginning, it's for the profit of all. It, it, it edifies everybody. It builds up the church. Of all the gifts, this gift only edifies the speaker of tongues unless it's interpreted. Then the whole church is, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that more when we get to uh, chapter 14. I think this is probably one of the most misunderstood manifestations of the Spirit. One of the common misunderstandings, I believe, is confusing it with prophecy or a word of wisdom or knowledge. We used to attend a church years ago when we were first married, and, and they, it was a charismatic church, and, and people would get up, and, they, and someone would speak in tongues, and another person would interpret, and, and invariably their interpretation would be, Thus saith the Lord, little children. It would be, be like speaking to people, and I don't believe that's what Scripture teaches about the tongues. I believe that tongues are directed to the Lord and not to people. We see that in Acts chapter 2, verse 11, on the, on the day of Pentecost. It says there in verse 11, We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. They're just praising the Lord and worshiping the Lord. In Acts chapter 10, verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Again, I think that's one of the misunderstandings. Tongues are directed to the Lord and not to men. Now, it can be in a known language because we see that at Pentecost, unknown to the speaker, but known to others, or it can also be in an unknown language. In Acts chapter 13, we'll probably look at that next week, verse 1. Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. So it can be in a known tongue or a known language, or I believe also in an unknown language. Well, why? What's the purpose? You know, there are times when you're worshiping the Lord or you're praying or just, you know, you're spending time with the Lord and you just, you can't, you just can't voice what you're trying to what you're trying to say to the Lord, and that's where I believe uh, the Holy Spirit takes over and speaks through us. Um, it's past our comprehension. It's the gift of tongues that I believe enables our spirit to communicate with God. Romans 8, 26, verse 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession with us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts uh, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now one of the things as we've been going through the book of uh, the, Paul's letter to the Corinthians is that the believers in Corinth evidently uh, they had a lot of the manifestations of the Spirit. It was, it was, 
it was a and particularly tongues when they were gathering together it was like they didn't have any issues they would be considered a charismatic church i guess in, in a lot of senses but paul spends a lot of time explaining the uh, the purpose and the proper use of the gift because again i think this is one that's commonly misunderstood uh, and so Again, we don't have time to look at it this morning, um, but we will address it later. At the same time when Paul addresses it, then we'll address it. So, Finally, in verse 10, the interpretation of tongues. Uh, it's a supernatural ability to translate an unknown tongue into a known language. And this gift goes hand in hand uh, with the gift of tongues. It's not needed when you're praying alone. Uh, but it's needed when we're in a corporate gathering of saints because otherwise, like I said earlier, there's no edification of the body of Christ. And again, we'll, we'll talk all about that when we get to um, chapter 14. But I want to close with this this morning, verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. You know, I just encourage you, you can pray for the gifts of the Spirit, pray for the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit, uh, you know, receive it by faith. Um, but remember this, it's the Holy Spirit that distributes it as He wills, okay? We don't, we don't force it, we don't try to make it happen. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit that does it. Um, and in everything, don't focus on the gift. That's a common thing. Don't focus on the gift, but focus on the giver of the gifts, and it's here to uh, encourage the body of Christ. And again, like I said at the beginning of this message, you know, I don't know where all of you stand as far as your beliefs regarding the gifts of the Spirit. And I do know that there's other Christians that are, they love Jesus, uh, they're, they're smart, <laughs> they know the Word of God and stuff, and they believe differently, and that, that's okay. There's room for that. I'm just sharing what I believe and what I think scriptures teaches. Um, but one of the things I want to say to the fellowship here those of you that consider Calvary Chapel your church home, I want to encourage you in, the, in finding out what your gifts are and then walking in faith and stepping up because it's for the edification of the whole body of Christ. We need your gift. Whatever it is, we need it here at Calvary Chapel Rochester. So I want to encourage you. And, you know, for those of you that maybe, you know, maybe you grew up in a, in a background where, you, you, you know, this is all new to you and you're like, oh, I'm not so sure about that. I want to encourage you. We're not going to sit there and go, aha, that wasn't, you know, you evil person, you know. Um, we're not going to do that. We love you. And uh, we just want to encourage you. We want all that the Lord has for all of us here at Calvary Chapel, Rochester. And so um, would you stand up? And uh, I'll have the